You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I remember this one Sunday morning I had preached, and at the end of the sermon I went to sit back down in my seat because someone was coming up to sing. And so when I, when I got in my seat, I noticed kind of from the corner of my eye there was a gentleman walking from this corner of the room over, and he sat down beside me, and he said, Pastor Rick, and, uh, and I turned to him and said, good morning. But he wasn't looking at me, he was looking straight ahead and he said, we need to talk. And I said, oh, I'd be happy to get with you and talk to you. What's your name? But still looking straight ahead, he said, Pastor Rick, I am Jesus. And so immediately I just made an assumption that the person sitting beside me was very confused. And maybe was in need of some real help. And so he got up and he walked away and some of our people tried to talk to him before he left our property that day. I tried to call him a couple of times over the next couple of weeks and he didn't return a call. But we knew that if he come back we probably ought to have somebody there to assist him if he needed assisting. And so sure enough the next Sunday he was here and he was sitting in the sanctuary and he got up and he walked out and the gentleman who was going to be there to assist him walked with him into the halls. And so, my friend said to him, you can't really walk the halls, you're going to have to go back and sit down. And he looks at my friend and he says, can I not walk the halls of my own house? And he said, no, you can't, you have to go back and sit down. So he came back in the room and he had a seat. What what do you do when when an individual, a human being, a man, a person... We can see with our eyes, touch with our hands, looks you you and says, I'm Jesus. Or, Or what do you do when a person says to you, I'm God. So a couple of weeks ago I told you that in our world today of the 7 billion people that occupy this planet, probably about 85% would say they believe in God. Now that's not defining God, that's just saying, do you believe in God? Their response would be yes. And that's meaning some higher universal divine power. In the U.S. alone, about 92 to 94 percent of the people, when polled, would say, I believe in God. And so can you imagine an individual, a man, a human being, a person, who says, you know that God you believe in? Yeah. Well, that's me. I'm him. I'm God. That's a big deal. So who in the world would make that kind of claim or imply that kind of truth? Jesus did. In the world that I live in, to suggest to somebody that there was a man whose name was Jesus, who lived some 2,000 years ago, walked the earth doing good deeds and teaching people, there is little debate in that conversation. Besides Scripture, there's lots of history that talks about a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago doing good, teaching people, and died on a cross. So people don't really debate that truth with you. 
when you want to talk about a human being, an individual, a person, a man, being God, that's a different conversation. I have a friend who said to me one day, I wish, I wish you could meet this guy. Uh, I work with him. He's Muslim. I've had lots of conversations with him, and I wish you could have a conversation with him. So if I set up a lunch, would you come to lunch and meet him? And I said, sure. And so I go to lunch, and I meet this guy who is Muslim who was raised in Iraq. And we talked a lot about Christianity, and we talked a lot about Islam, and we talked about the differences in the two. And somewhere in the conversation, he says to me, you understand, I have no problem with Jesus. I believe Jesus existed. I believe Jesus was a good man. He said, I believe Jesus was a great prophet of God. So somewhere in the conversation with him, I said, you understand that I believe that Jesus was more than a good man and more than a great prophet. I believe that Jesus is God. What do you believe? I want you to go with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1, okay? John chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 1. As we deal with this question today, in light of all the big questions, we're talking about the question and focusing on the question, is Jesus really God? So John chapter 1, John talks about Jesus, okay? John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. So... Listen to the Word of God, okay? And the words will be on the screen for you as well. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now listen to these words. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children from, children rather born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now listen to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to I take a few minutes just to talk to you about Jesus, His life. So He was born... Uh, to a young, very poor Jewish couple. 
in the region of Galilee, which would be on the eastern side of the Roman Empire. He was raised in a little village called Nazareth. His family probably spoke Aramaic. And Jesus had brothers and he had sisters. And he took up the family trade, which was carpentry. So when he was probably around 30 years of age, we don't have any record at that point of his father, so we assumed he had passed away, but there's lots of references to his mother Mary. He began preaching and teaching publicly. He also began doing miracles. Somewhere as his popularity grew and people were becoming more aware of who he was and people began to watch the miracles he performed, one of his disciples in a moment of excitement blurted out, You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Jesus commended his disciple, but he said, don't tell anybody what you've just said. Because in Jesus' mind, the idea of Israel having a second, another king, a new king would, or a king rather, at all, would probably really concern the Roman rule. And, and that's what was going on with the Israelites. They were living under the heavy hand of Roman rulership. They wanted to be free. They wanted someone to come and take away that heavy hand of Roman rule. But Jesus had another kind of kingdom in mind. And he had a freedom in mind that was far beyond this idea of political freedom. And so he did things like this. He ate with people who were Gentiles. Befriended them. He ate with sinners and publicans and prostitutes and tax collectors. He hung out with Roman soldiers. He even commanded the Israelites at one point that you should pay taxes to the Romans. And so how could... How could this be the Messiah? It all came to a head on Passover week in about his third year of ministry when he was arrested. He was questioned by the Romans and by the Jewish authorities. On day two, the crowd turned against him and then he was sentenced to death and he died on a cross. But on the third day, his body was missing. Even those who opposed him Even those who disagreed with him claimed they saw him alive. His disciples began to testify that he was appearing before them many times. God had raised him from the dead. In one of those appearances with his disciples before he ascended, he commissions them, go take the gospel to every nation. And thousands and then millions began to follow Jesus' teachings. And believed he was more than just an ordinary man. And so over these last 2,000 years now, billions of people have believed in their hearts that he was more than a man and have given their life to following him. I think it's interesting, don't you, that, that the book that prophesies his coming and then tells his life story is the best-selling book of all time. The calendar that I use every day of my life, that I carry on my phone, that I live my life by is set by the date of his birth. On this planet, a third of the population claim to be followers of Jesus. And in the U.S. alone, 64% of adults claim to have a personal relationship with this man. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked because I opened the Gospel of John this morning. And it tells me that he is life. And he is the light of every 
man. So what do you think John was up to when he writes his gospel? St. Augustine, who lived in the 4th century, was so impressed with the opening words of John's gospel that he said they should be written in letters of gold and hung in every church in the most conspicuous place. So what is John doing when he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? What, what, what is he trying to accomplish here? What, what, what is his audience? Who, who is he talking to? And so let me, let me think with you a little bit about that. John was probably 90 years old when he writes his gospel. He was not a young man. Probably 70 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And so John is writing because something has transitioned in his world. Now, don't make any mistake and don't misunderstand me. Many Jews believed in Jesus and followed him. The Bible tells us on more than one occasion that truth. Many Jews believed in Jesus and followed him. So not every Jew rejected Jesus. Don't, don't come to that misunderstanding. But as the gospel is taken to the Gentile world, it begins to spread like wildfire. In fact, when John writes his gospel, it's estimated that for every Jewish believer in Christ, there is probably a thousand Gentile believers in Christ. And so when they are read the gospel of Matthew, who writes his gospel for a very specific purpose, and that is to present Jesus as the Messiah to the Jewish people. They don't understand that Gentiles don't. They didn't know that David was a king of Israel. They've had no really understanding of Israel's history. And so when Matthew talks about David, they don't know who he is. When, when he talks about the Messiah, they've never awaited a Messiah. They don't know what a Messiah would be. And so what John does is he restates the gospel for the Gentile people. And so he uses languages that they understand, words that they understand. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word, in the Greek language, is logos. We translate it with these words. Word, order, reason, mind. So in the beginning was the order. In the beginning was reason. In the beginning was the mind behind, the design behind. So for 500 years, Greek philosophers had talked about Logos. And here's how they talked about it. They said, you know what? When you think about it, our world is in constant flux. It's in constant motion. Everything is changing. So, so what do they mean by that? They're simply saying that if you go outside today... And, and you just look around, you'll see that the clouds appear to be moving. The sun rises and the sun sets. The moon comes and the moon goes. Water is running through the streams. Tides come and tides go in the ocean. Everything is growing. The rain falls, the dew rises. Everything is in motion. Everything is moving. And the Greek philosopher said... If everything is moving, there should be chaos. Everything should be bumping into each other. But there's not chaos. Greek philosophy said, there is order. Things seem to move with purpose and order. 
and reason. The Stoic philosophers used to say that it seems to us that Logos is what keeps night and day and the seasons in order. So in a little while, I will guarantee you that the sun will go down. And in the morning, it will come back up. And the next day, it will do it again. And for the 52 years that I have lived, it has done it every day. So what keeps all of that order? We're coming into fall, we're in fall now, we'll be into winter, and then we'll be in spring, and then we'll be in summer, and then it will happen again the same way, year after year after year after year. And they said, we believe that is Logos. And so John writes about Jesus. And here's what he says. In the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. In fact, he says the Logos was God. And when you get to verse 14, pay really close attention to what he says. The Logos, the Word, has made His dwelling among us. Wow. In the beginning there was God and Jesus was with God. And now God has come to man in the flesh. In the man Jesus. And He lives among us. And He has skin. And He walks among us. And we can look into His eyes and we can touch Him. And we can hear Him speak. When you look into the eyes of Jesus, you have looked into the eyes of God Himself. Is that what you believe about God? Is that what you believe about Jesus? I think, I think we've taken a few moments here to look at what the Bible says about Jesus in this question, is He really God? And I think it's important that we take a few moments to think about, about the statements that Jesus made about Himself. And so I'm just going to pull up a few of those statements for you, okay? So here, here we go. Once... Jesus in the Gospel of John begins to talk about himself and he does it over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of John. We call them the I am statements of Jesus. And so here's what he says. It goes like this. I am, in one particular occasion, on one particular occasion, he says, I am the bread of life. You remember that story? There was another occasion where he says, I am the light of the world. Another time he says, I am the good shepherd. On another occasion he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And yet on another occasion he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. We're not Jews and we didn't live in Jesus' day. But to say I am was a big deal to them. Do you remember when Moses, years before, was commissioned and called by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery and bondage from Egypt? And Moses says, God, if I'm going to do this, who do I tell them sent me? And do you remember what God said to tell them? Who? One more time. And so the Jews stepped back. 
He is applying God's personal name to Himself. And on many occasions they became indignant with Him. There was this one time when they were trying to challenge Him. Now who do you say that you are? Who are you claiming to be? Because they were really beginning to struggle with Jesus at this point. And He talks about Abraham in the conversation as if He has seen Abraham. And they, they back up and they say, wait a minute, you are not even 50 years old. Are you claiming that you have seen Abraham? And you know what Jesus says to them? Before Abraham was... One more time. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to take his life. What is he saying? One day he was in a house and he was teaching them. And they brought to him this man who was paralyzed. They couldn't get in because it was so crowded. And so houses were constructed where this would have been possible. They take tiles off of the roof and they let the man down on ropes right in front of Jesus. And I'm sure there was some comedy involved in all of that. I'm, I would think people started clapping or something when the guy comes down through the roof. And not only does Jesus heal the paralyzed man, but you know what else he does? He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Teachers of the law were present and they came completely unglued. And they began to scream in that little house, this is blasphemy. Who alone can forgive sins but God? And they knew what he was doing. He was claiming to have attributes that only God could have. And so finally, in one of these heated discussions, Jesus says to the Jewish teachers of the law, I and the Father are one. And so one day his disciples are talking to him, and they're wanting to know more about the Father. And Jesus says, Thomas, look at me, okay? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have looked into my eyes, Thomas, you have looked into the very eyes of God. What, what is Jesus trying to say? He is claiming to have attributes that only God alone has. He claims that He has the power to forgive sin. He claims that He can give people eternal life, abundant life. That He can help them break their habits of sin. He did things that men cannot do. He healed people who were blind, people who were deaf, people who could not walk. He even raised people from the dead. He made food out of thin air. Enough to feed thousands of people. He walked on top of water. And he even told a raging storm once to stop. And it stopped. And he says to them, if you're not going to believe me for what I say, then you should at least believe me for what you see me do. And then he showed us God. Loving and forgiving and merciful and kind and good. And in Jesus, we watch God take on the form of a man and come into our world because he desires relationship with us. The God of everything 
wants a relationship with you. And so he comes to you. And that's what you see in Jesus. God reaching out to humanity. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he offers you life and light. So, so I want us just to kind of take a minute and talk about all that, okay? Is Jesus really God? That's a, that's a personal question. I understand that. I understand that that's a personal question. So if you said to me, Rick, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. And you're standing up and you're pretty demonstrative this morning about your own belief. You believe that Jesus is God. How do you arrive at, at that kind of decision? How do you arrive at that conclusion? And so I would borrow some language from a very wise man who has done a lot to influence my understanding of God. And I would tell you that I base my belief on Scripture, as we have talked about this morning. I would base my belief on reason, as we have talked about this morning. I would base my belief on tradition, and I would base my belief on experience. So let's talk a little bit about about my experience. I was, I was 19, and I was raised by great parents. I don't mean good parents, I mean great parents. They loved the Lord with all their hearts. They were great examples to all four of us kids. Today's Sunday, the chance is really good. I'll call my mom and dad on the phone. My mom will answer because they have these matching phones. It's important when you get to be their age. Everybody wants to talk at the same time, and my mom will tell dad, Dad, get the phone, it's Rick. He'll get the phone. He'll listen for a while, and then somewhere in the conversation, I'll hear him just break in and say, I love you, doesn't he, Annette, every time. I love you, Pop. How's it going? So we'll chat a little bit. And although I had this great, this great Christian upbringing, there was a season of my life where that I wasn't living the way that I knew I should live. So when I was 19, it all kind of came to a head. Life wasn't going so great. And I wanted to be right with God. I remember really well going home and uh, putting some firewood in the rack that holds firewood by our fireplace and I overheard my mom talking about this new preacher that we had coming to our church. And, and I remember hearing her say to this person on the other end of the phone um, that he's really a good preacher, we hear, that a lot of people become Christian under his ministry. And I remember thinking to myself as I'm laying that wood in that rack, if he doesn't help me to become Christian, then he's not very good at what he does. I really wanted my life to change. And I remember not too many weeks later on a Sunday night, I went to church on Sunday night because I lived with my parents still and they said, you have to go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. My dad always said, you don't have to go, you get to go, it's a privilege. But it didn't help when I didn't want to go. And I remember standing there, invitation is given. I walk down the aisle of my little home church. The only way I know how to say it is this. When I was kneeling down at the altar, I was one person. When I stood up from the altar, I was a different person. I'm telling you, I was born again. Everything changed. My values, my purpose, the way that I saw life, the world, 
There was this love a part of me that didn't exist prior to that. I mean, I was different. I, I remember that night we walked out of the church and people were standing around talking for a while. And, and I really was kind of not in a conversation for a moment. And I went back in the church and I walked back up to the front and I kind of stood there and I stared at that altar. Because I couldn't really figure out quite what had happened to me. I just knew that I would never be the same again. So we're asking a question, is Jesus really God? Let me give you a quote of Thomas Aquinas. May I do that? I want you to look at the screen. We'll put it there for you. But I want you to focus on this with me. So if the incarnation did not really happen, in other words, if Jesus is really not God, then an even more unbelievable miracle happened. You hearing what he's saying? If Jesus is not God, then, then an even un, more unbelievable miracle took place. And that is the conversion of the world by the biggest lie in history. And the moral transformation of lives into unselfishness, detachment from worldly pleasures, and radically new heights of holiness. By mere myth. And so it's a personal question. Let, let, let me look at you for just a moment and say this to you. If Jesus is not God, then what in the world happened to me? Somebody's going to have to help me understand. If Jesus is not God, then who changed my life? And why have billions of people given their life to follow Him? And why did many people die for Him? And why have people died in the last few months for Him? As we've seen on the news. So one day, one day Jesus, he's with his disciples. And he asked them a question. A question about this. About his identity. So who do people say that I am? Well, some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. And then he looks at one disciple, Peter, and he asks him a very heavy question because it's a personal question. Peter, let's make it personal. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You up for this? Can we make it a personal question this morning? It's not a question for the guy behind you or the guy in front of you or the gal beside you. It's for you. Who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus really God?
I believe in the power of the Word of God, and I believe that God's Word never returns void. And so I believe that this morning God has spoken to us through His Word. And so how do we respond to God's Word? I don't know always the answer to that question. But God speaks to me, how do I respond to what God has said? And so often we offer the opportunity to pray. So would you want to stand with me this morning and let me offer you that opportunity as well? So this morning it may be that through the passage of Scripture that I read and you read these words it says, Logos, the Word was with God. In the beginning the Word was God. God created everything. And God has come to earth in the flesh. And He walked among us. Maybe you want to pray about those words this morning that God has given to us. It may be that you'd say, Rick, honestly, I wanted to listen and focus, but we are going through stuff at our house or there is something in my life that has consumed me and I really need, I really need to talk to God about it this day. My life is heavy. You know, I understand. And there's a great place here to pray if you're just going through some hard days. You may say, I heard you talk about a moment ago your born-again experience. I need that in my life. I want Jesus to change me like He changed you. I want to be forgiven of my sins, but I want to experience that transformation you talked about. I want that new birth in my life. You can come this morning. There will be pastors here to pray for you. All you have to do is just get their attention. They'll be standing here. They'll come and they'll pray with you. If you want to be anointed for healing this morning, there will be pastors here to anoint you for healing or to pray with you about anything you want to pray about. If you want to come as a family, feel free to do that. So Kyle is going to lead us as we sing and as we pray. And if you want to come here to pray, you're encouraged to do so. Okay?
place this morning in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to stay around a while, though, you're welcome to worship. Kyle will be singing for a while, and there's people here to pray, and you may want to pray with them, or you may want to come. But as you leave, leave quietly. If you want to hang out a while, you're welcome to do that as well. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.